Greetings and welcome to HPNA's Podcast Corner, your place for hospice and palliative nursing continual learning. I'm your host, Julie Tanner, Certified Hospice and Palliative Care Registered Nurse and Educator for HPNA. Thank you for joining today's education. Today's stories from the field are going to be from Barb Schmall, Certified Hospice and Palliative Registered Nurse, as well as a nurse educator for HPNA. And we're going to talk to Barb today about hospice and palliative nursing with a bit of a focus on compassion fatigue. So thank you, Barb, for joining us today. I'm glad to be and here. welcome. Thank you. So to get started, Barb, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I had the privilege of having a great nursing education at Northwestern Memorial Hospital School of Nursing, which no longer exists, of course, but worked in the hospital three days a week. Every week for the three years I was in school um, gave me a great clinical background. Um, when I graduated, I went into critical care, worked in ICU, and over the years have worked a couple different areas like pediatrics. Uh, originally thought I was going to do neurologic ICU in a peds hospital, but changed that pathway and went instead into um, some a little bit of private duty and also a little bit of oncology mixed in there. So kind of a wide variety. And then it was when I was working in a pediatric inpatient unit, that's when my course kind of changed. Uh, that's where I was exposed to care of two different children with progressive neurologic diseases, both of whom were hospitalized with pneumonias. And they expected, this was three months apart, the two cases, but they knew that these children were going to probably die of their illness in that hospitalization. And those two situations could not have been more different. One of them was, I walked on the unit, it was a full-blown code, this baby was about nine months old. This was like a progressive seizure disorder. So from the week, from the time the babies were a week old, they knew they had a prognosis of about a year. Um, really tragic kind of prognosis. And on that particular night shift, I walked in and there was a full-blown code going on. And it was very evident when I walked in. I, I can still picture, this was probably 20 years ago, the look on the respiratory therapist's face as she's working to bag this obviously dead baby. The parents were huddled in a corner, crying, upset, obviously. The code had been going on for at least 20 minutes at that point. Um, and I, I mean, it was crushing. It was tra traumatizing to everyone. They offered several times to, you know, do you want to come? Nope, can't do it. They, and, and the physician eventually walked in and explained they had to call it. Three months later, same diagnosis, same situation, totally different setting, peaceful, calm. The parents were well prepared, music playing prayer in a circle, all very, very calm. And I thought, why don't we do this for big people? Why don't, why can't everybody die like this? So two months later, I was working at the local hospice across the street um, and have been working in hospice and palliative care ever since then. So that was my path and that was my projectile into this kind of care. And you're, cert you're a certified hospice and palliative mm -hmm. registered nurse as well. Yes. Yes. Can you talk a bit about that? When I first became a hospice case manager, um, the certification was relatively new, and I felt like it was something at the time our agency was um, not necessarily promoting, but I felt like I wanted to have that professional development and 
um, it's just a personal goal of mine to do that. So I was certified in the 90s um, and have maintained my certification up until now and um, actually love the recertification process now, which is much more accurate reflection of what we do in practice. So I think it's a great shift, even though some people find it more a little more complicated, but it's really a reflection of what we do in our work to, to keep our skills up and to maintain our education and things like that. So I think it was a great move to make it a much more accurate reflection of practice instead of just taking the same exam over and over again. So uh-huh. I'm just glad to see that happen. Have you had a mentor or a coach with you along your journey in hospice and palliative nursing? Um, I would say probably my first supervisor when I had a case management job, my first hospice job, um, she was probably as close to a mentor as I had, and it was very helpful in those years. Along the way, as I went into different roles, I didn't always have someone close by. Um, as I you know, went from that to maybe more of a manager's role or an educational role, um, I, I pulled from colleagues that I knew, not necessarily having somebody that was side by side, but um, in that respect was mentored along the way by a lot of different individuals with more experience than I had. So what would you recommend for new nurses that are entering in the hospice and palliative nursing specialty about mentoring? What advice would you give them? I think it would be a wonderful and ideal experience to find not just a preceptor to get you through the new hire process of learning your computer or your processes with the agency or the organization you work with, but to have someone who really is committed to your success and was willing to have a longer term relationship of several months or a year even um, to to do check-ins and really help to guide you. I I wish I had had more of that in the first few years, Um, just to be sure I'm on the right path. Am I doing the, not so much the right things, but what are some other options for care as you start to analyze things and you're not a novice anymore, uh, it's still good to have that support and still good to learn what interventions and thoughts and critical thinking is out there to draw from. Is there a specific aspect of hospice and palliative nursing that you enjoy most? I have to say I think that over the years what's been most evident to me is the fact that we often have unique opportunities to actually care for and communicate with our patients to establish some relationship, which was part of why I became a nurse in the first place, was to care for people. And in the acute care setting and an intensive care unit or other places in the hospital, it was harder and harder to do that. Um, And I felt like hospice care, talking with dying patients, I learned so much from them, still learning from them, but it was very, it's very meaningful work. And I just felt like this is what caring for people means, to have the time to have not just a crucial conversation, but a meaningful one that truly makes the patient connected to the medical team. That's, I think, the best part, or still is. (laughs) What do you find the most difficult aspect of your career or your role as a hospice nurse? I think there has to be an awareness that you grow into that you're exposed continually to suffering 
especially as a case manager or in my case as a resource nurse where I was seeing some of the worst of the worst cases who needed the most help, that your day-to-day work, you're exposed to levels of suffering that you may not have seen in another care setting and that that will exact a toll over time. Um, And you have to be aware of it first because you go in with all your, you know, I'm going to help people and, you know, noble causes and you don't realize that it you also have to equip yourself to do that and find ways to manage the things that you see. You know, I've seen tumors that I, I've never experienced in other areas of nursing, physical things on, on bodies and a level of suffering that I had never experienced before. And what do you do with that? Because over time, it, it becomes, it may become a reason where you may choose not to do it anymore. But if you find meaning and you find a way to be resilient, which is you know, a challenge well worth keeping uh, and, and meeting, but sometimes difficult to do. So that exposure to continual loss and suffering is probably the biggest difficulty, I think. In so what's the hardest question you've been asked by a patient or family in your career as a hospice nurse? I, I'm reminded of a young patient I saw just a couple years ago who not only asked hard questions, but asked them very close together very quickly in a way I wasn't really prepared for, even after many years in hospice. Um, this was a young man, 32-year-old, who was diagnosed with what they thought was appendicitis, actually. It was appendiceal cancer that mimics appendicitis. They did the appendectomy, et cetera, not healing well. And he went from a normal, healthy 32-year-old to being critically ill within a matter of a month or two. Had extensive surgery. Um, most of his bowel removed. His omentum just, I mean, it just destroyed that whole abdominal cavity. And he was sent home, referred to hospice by the surgeon, saying, we're going to get you some help, and then you come back in three weeks, and we'll talk about your treatment options. He came home with multiple, you know, TPN and fluids and wound vacs and multiple medical equipment, um, which was, his wife was a nurse, and she kind of took that on, but it was very medicalized, and he, when I first walked in the door and, and met him, he looked already very fatigued, and I was there to look and see if we could get an appliance to handle what we thought was a stoma, which was actually just an artificial fistula they had created with a stab wound to manage all this drainage. And we talked for just a few minutes, and I could tell he was already fatiguing, and he just looked like one big question mark on on his face, the confusion. and, And after we dealt with just a few issues, I looked at him and I said, I had the presence of mind to not just say, do you have a question? Do you have any questions for me? I just said, what questions do you have for me? Because they were written all over his face. And he looked right at me and said, am I ever going to get well? And it took everything in me to stay still and maintain eye contact. And I said, well, talk to me a little bit more about that. Do you mean well like before you had cancer or, you know, well, since you have had the surgery, tell me a little bit more about what you mean. And he said, am I ever going to get better and be normal? Now, in all the years I've done hospice work, 
when you're two feet away from somebody looking them straight in the eye and knowing the answer to that. I just very quietly, again, not moving, keeping my eye contact with him, I looked at him and I said, no, I don't believe so. And I just shut my mouth. And he, he began to literally weep and said, oh, thank God, I think I'm dying and nobody is telling me. And, and then in the next, because he was visibly tiring, in the next five to 10 minutes, he asked me, I think every question I've been asked by a dying patient, how much time do I have? What's it gonna be like? Am I gonna have like a heart attack and just die? Am I gonna have a lot of pain? Um, what's my life gonna be like? I have a business to take care of. We've gotta sell this, we've got plans to make. I, I don't know, I mean, one question after another that I just tried to answer as honestly as I could. And when he said to me, how much time do I have? It was difficult because I only met him this time. And I said, it's a little hard for me to say that, but I will tell you this, talk to me about how it's been in the last month since you, you know, your disease progressed and since you've been home for the last few days, what, what's changed? He said, well, you know, a week ago I could walk out to my garage and, you know, move around the house. And he said, this week I can barely make it to my bedroom and back. And I said, well, you know, that might be an indication as far as the way your body's changing. It could be if you're changing from week to week that that might be the time frame that's left. If you start changing day to day, et cetera, those were the kind of questions that were just pressing on him. Am I just gonna drop dead, he said, those kind of things. Um, and, and he was a little angry that um, his, his physicians had not answered some of his questions and or said, why, why was anybody afraid to tell me that I'm gonna die from this and I'm probably gonna die pretty soon? And those were some difficult questions. And then his wife said to me, will he live till um, our anniversary? And I said, you know, I'm not sure that he will, but let's talk about, maybe you can celebrate your anniversary sooner. We'll, we'll talk about that. Let's, maybe you can celebrate it this month, just to be sure. But again, just the enormity of what they were feeling. And she had the same response. Oh my gosh, I'm so glad. I think he's gonna die soon. And nobody, and she was a nurse. She said, but nobody's talking about it. So. Mm -hmm. But in the moment, it was tough. It was difficult to stay present, to be compassionate and not tearful, because it was, at that point, very a very sad situation. Um, but to answer his questions truthfully and give him the information he needed. So you, you hear references of compassion fatigue and resilience and those terms associated with nursing and healthcare in general. So in hearing this story and his, his wife and family, how do you address the compassion fatigue for you as a nurse when these stories are what we hear? When I first started in hospice work, it was almost built into the framework of hospice agencies that there was a lot of emphasis on debriefing and support within the team. And I think over time, as healthcare has changed, that began to be, there began to be fewer and fewer opportunities to do that. So the emphasis shifted to self-care. And I realized I've got to do something to maintain my balance. I've got to think about, I went to some stress management 
seminars and begin to work with our staff at that hospice about how do we do that, working with our chaplaincy and social work for our own team support. Um, and I think what really made me take it very seriously was when, like it happens with most people, a personal loss happens. And all of a sudden you have to go back to work and you've had a loss in your personal life and you have to go and see dying patients and it's very, very difficult to just walk back into a job where you realize that's when I realized what a burden. I didn't think I was carrying a burden. I didn't think I was carrying people on my shoulders and I was coping well and I loved my job. But I realized when I was grieving, wow, these situations, even if it's not a death, but a move, a divorce, any of those kind of things that are major changes, that was when I thought, I've got to be active. I've got to do something to be able to, to come out of this and still be able to do my job. And around that time, there began to be a lot, kind of a resurgence, I think, of conversations in healthcare and hospice and palliative care. And it's another topic even now. We've got to be intentional about taking care of ourselves because if we don't refill ourselves, whatever that takes, and there are lots of ways people do that, but I have to find ways spiritually, emotionally, psychologically to, to refill that bucket so that I have something left to give. And, and it's a little epidemic, I think, because of our, the caregiving role that we do as nurses. It's about other people. It's about caring for others. And for a long time, I think we would put ourselves last or we wouldn't think about so much our own needs because our whole vocation is about taking care of other people. But we realize, you know, you can't do that if you have nothing left to give. You have to be able to find a way to restore your perspective and get your passion back so that you can give care the way you want to and be compassionate and do all the things you did when you were fresh and new. So with the next generation of hospice and palliative nurses, what advice would you offer them or insight on resilience and protection, compassion, fatigue, what would you like to tell them? What would you tell yourself, your younger self, 20 years ago, knowing what you know now? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think I would tell myself to expect that there will be patients that will mark me forever in good ways and sometimes in bad ways, that some of the negative situations, um, to expect to be impacted and that you need to work through those and process those situations or at least acknowledge that, wow, you know, I'll never forget that case or I'll never forget this person. Um, and to try to learn from those experiences, to try to learn from the patients that are dying instead of coming in saying, I'm, I'm gonna help you, but to make it more, a little bit more of a reciprocal relationship, not, not in a bad boundaries way, but in a way in which you are aware that you're doing meaningful work as an individual when you're communicating with the patients or the families that you take that with you and that I think that's why a lot of hospice nurses can stay in hospice for a longer period of time because they understand wow this is sometimes it's heavy sometimes and it's joyful which is sometimes unexpected but to really have a plan ask other people what do they do 
Some people literally have a little ritual. If they're seeing patients out in the field and they're going from patient to patient, they get in their car and they do certain things um, to separate visit to visit. But ask people in the field, what do you do to decompress and to not just unload it, but then equip yourself? Um, that, that you have to be intentional about it or you will burn out. You, you won't have enough left to give. And I'd also encourage somebody to go to another country and see how healthcare is done in other places. It's kind of a way to restore your perspective on, wow, there are a lot of things we could improve on, but there are a lot of things we do well. And just that comparison, um, that can really refire that passion and, and reconnect with why you do the work. Um, and maybe refresh some ideas that you can share with your team or refresh your practice with when you get back. That, that's, just, that's just a personal thing for me. I think it's a great idea to go somewhere else and see how things are done there and learn from that. So what is your vision for hospice and palliative nursing in the future? I mean, my hope would be that we as nurses can impact really our culture around death and dying and that we as a, as a, a nation and as a, a group of diverse individuals can begin to really grasp death as a natural process. I mean, we've been saying these things for many years, but we have so much advanced technology that there's that part of me that wants to see if we can't impact the public's thinking, the healthcare profession's thinking, that that the acute care mindset of fixing things and high tech and all of those things are not necessarily ideal. Um, I've always said my hospice career really started in ICU when I realized I don't want to die like this, right? And I don't think anybody wants to. But it's hard to make progress with that. How how can we use our influence as nurses? to help people understand or look at the dying process differently and more naturally and um, not be so full of fear. Um, and as hospice and palliative nurses, to, to really embrace the fact we get the chance to take care of that whole person. We're not dealing with an appendix or a patient, a, a chest pain, right? We're dealing with the entire person and we um, I think that's a model of care that we should do for everyone, but don't always get to do that in other nursing care settings. So that would be another vision that we would really embrace that and bring that into um, all, the, all of the spheres of influence that we have. Well, thank you, Barb, for sharing your, your story. It's been some wonderful information for, for our listeners. I would also like to, to thank you for your commitment to hospice and palliative nursing and your careers, your career's work, your vocation. Uh, thank our listeners for joining us today and for additional information regarding this podcast and information on compassion fatigue and resilience as well. Please go to HPNA's advancingexpertcare.org backslash podcast corner and we have additional resources waiting for you there thank you, thank you.